Today's passage is in 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, verse 13 through chapter 3, verse 5. And that's on page 989 on the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I'll say, thank, or this is the word of the Lord, and your reply, thanks be to God. We say this because we're thankful God gave us his breathed out word to live by and have authority over us. So 2 Thessalonians, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief, and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and never wavering love for your children. Open our ears and hearts to what you need us to hear today and lift up Pastor Shea as he preaches your word. Amen. Um, well. Thank you, Miss Shelby. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. Uh, somebody stopped me earlier. They're like, you're preaching again? I don't, I don't know how to take that, but it's all good. Um, tomorrow's Veterans Day. Um, do, do we have any vets in the room? Can you stand up? I, we just want to honor you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for serving. Like I, I know and my family knows what it means, uh, to serve our country in that capacity. I know uh, what it's like to lose friends uh, that you cared about. And, um, truly like we honor you. We appreciate you. So thank you. Um, so we are in the book of second Thessalonians. We're going to keep it rolling with our sermon series on viral hope. Uh, so this is Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians church, and he's writing them to encourage them through the difficult times they're going through. And so last week, Pastor Mark broke down an, an awesome sermon of, of how Paul wanted to warn the Thessalonians um, that they were going to face some evil in this world. Uh, not only was he warning them of the evil one that was to come, but also the evil that's in our hearts as we start to deny and reject the goodness of who Christ is. Um, and so if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, um, Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus uh, and are being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or by a spoken word. Uh, Paul says that the lawless one is coming, but he doesn't want them to be shaken by this. He wants them to continue on. He wants them to actually rely on their faith and not be, be kind of, I don't want to say shook, but like, oh, oh, he doesn't want them to be like that. 
And that thought of not being quickly shaken, it carries over into our passage this morning. Paul says that I know the lawless one is coming. I know he's going to bring all kinds of deceptive tools and, and get people to trick him into following him. Not only that, I know that God is going to bring this strong delusion against those people who are rejecting Christ so that their rejection of him is going to last for eternity. It's like, I know all of that is coming, but that's not you. Paul says, you, you have faith. You're relying on Christ. We thank God for you because you've shown yourselves to be rooted and established in God's love. And I feel like God kind of gave me this passage uh, on purpose this morning because I need to be reminded of this. I, for, I forget this all the time. I forget where I stand with Christ. I forget that I'm a beloved son saved by grace through a faith that wasn't my own. Like even the, even the faith that I have in Christ doesn't come from me. It comes from him. I forget sometimes. I forget that I'm called to be a shepherd of God's people and to, to make disciples for his kingdom, not my own. I forget that I'm, I'm called to disciple these pe- people, not to try to, to just to play church week by week, but to, to be strengthened, to, to be encouraged, to go out and, and plant more churches and disciple more people. I, I forget sometimes. Sometimes I get a little lazy in my faith. And when I do that, when I forget my standing before Christ, I'll either try to make disciples that are in my image and likeness, or maybe I'll just get a little lazy in my faith and, and not really talk to my friends about who Jesus is. Or maybe I'll even be successful and plant to church, but it fails in, in like three, four years because it, it wasn't grounded in Christ. You see where I'm going with that? We forget sometimes that our faith has to be anchored and rooted in God's love and who God is. So that's my main point for my sermon today. I want us to be, be anchored in Christ. As Paul was writing the Thessalonians, he was reminding them that their, their gospel identity, the, the goodness of who God is, is what needs to carry them as they go out and tell the rest of the world about how good God is. They don't go out on their own and, and just kind of make like a kingdom in their own image. They're rooted in who Christ is. They're anchored in Christ. And there's a few ways that I see in this passage that I want to I kind of preach through this morning that we're anchored in Christ. And the first way is that we're anchored in our gospel identity. Um, but here's the thing. I, if you don't have a pen in your hand, I actually need you to grab one. Or if you got your phone in your hand, you know, use that little fancy highlighting tool, whatever you got. Um, But there's some very specific words in this passage that I want us to kind of underline. And if ever you feel like you're just not sure about how God feels about you, you just wake up one morning, you're like, "I I I don't know where I stand with Christ. I want you to come back to this passage, and I want you to pray over these specific words, okay? When you're ready, say, let's roll. All right, let's roll. Underline this word, beloved by God. Chosen as first fruits. Saved. Sanctified by the Spirit. Called. Glory. And I'm going to be honest with you, um, I'm going to spend a lot of time 
just in one verse. Um, so if you were asleep before, or that person beside you sleeping, you know, kind of give them the, the holy elbow, because uh, we're going to be here for a minute. Uh, just because there's so much theological goodness in this one section of scripture. Just in one verse, Paul, like, he thumbnails all of this theological truth. Uh, that he's just throwing out these terms that if we read past it too fast, we'll miss the goodness that, that's lying in here. So let's take these and, and uh, look deeper into them. We are beloved by God, Paul says. He says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by God, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. Paul says that we are beloved by God. And we, we have a hard time believing this sometimes. At least I do. I have a hard time believing God loves me. Even though, even though the Bible makes the serious case that all the interactions of God for us are rooted in his love. Every way that God interacts with us is based on his love for us. Sometimes we get so conscious of our own failures, of, of our own times that we fall short, that we, we forget that, no, God loves me. How, we, we say to ourselves, how, how could God love me? I don't, I don't even love myself today. How could God love me? But the truth is right here, saints. This says God loves us. Scripture tells us over and over and over of God's deep, deep love for us. We can go to Psalm 139 and we can hear from God that he, we, were, we were formed in our mother's womb. He, he knew us when he was forming us in the womb of our mothers and that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. God loves us. We could look at what Jesus had to say in John 15. He says, there's no greater love that a person could give someone else than to lay down his life for his friends. God the Son, laying down his life, expresses his love. Or we can go to Ephesians 1, and it says that it was love that motivated God to predestine us as adopt, for adoption as his sons. God loves us deeply. And how, how amazing is that, that God loves us, even though he knows every single thing about us? He knows what you were thinking last night, this morning. He knew who you were in the dark the other day. And in spite of it, still loves you. I feel like somebody needs to hear that this morning. God loves you. He loves, he loves everything about you. He's like, he knows your likes and your dislikes. He knows your shortcomings. He likes the weird ticks about you. Like how some of you like tea unsweetened. That's just weird, man. But he loves it. I don't get it. He knows your evil thoughts. He knows those secret sins that you've been trying to hide from your friends and loves you anyway. You are loved by God. I don't know how much emphasis I can put on that and give it justice. You are loved by God, saints. 
the truth of who you are. Paul also says that we were chosen as first fruits. If you look at uh, some commentaries, they say that this is actually saying that you were loved from the beginning. If we look at Ephesians 1, Paul picks up on that. Ephesians 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, been, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of, of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It was, it was love that motivated God to choose us, it says. Before anything was made, God made a conscious decision to take you as his own possession. And you know who you are, right? It's not like you feel like you're an all-star. You don't, you don't think you're like a Steph Curry or uh, like a Tom Brady or you crazy Patriots fans. You're not, you're not an all-star. You know who you are. You know your own thoughts in the middle of the night. You, you know the times when you fall short. You know the times when you're doing stuff and you know daggone well you shouldn't be doing them. You know. But God still chose you. God, God knew it too and still chose you. Matter of fact, you were like that weird middle school kid with two left feet who gets last, picked last for, uh, for kickball. That, that's who you were before Christ. But God saw you and he chose you as if you were the all-star on the entire field took you as his own possession. By the way, if I made you feel weird, like you're that weird high school kid, I, I didn't mean it. High, middle school will be over soon, I promise. But you know who you are. You know what you've done. You, you know the things that have been done to you and how you've kind of let those things define you. God says, I don't define you that way. I chose you before all that. I knew who you were going to be. I love you. It's who we are in Christ. It's, it's amazing that God does that for us. Paul says that we're saved. He says that God chose you as first fruits to be saved. Saved? Saved from what? You guys ever ask a person that question? Like, people go around saying, I'm saved. Jesus saved me. You ever ask them, saved from what? You know? I don't, save from being an Alabama fan. I don't think they understand what they're saved from. I don't think they fully comprehended the fact of, of what God actually pulled them out of. When we, look at, when we look at the Bible, when we look at the scriptures, God created Adam and Eve, right? And he created them perfectly. But when, when they rebelled against God, God said, when the, the day that you do that, you're going you're gonna to die. And what God was trying to help them understand, there's going to be an affection that happens within you, and it's going to sink down in your DNA, and all of your prodigy are going to share in this sin. They're going to share in this death that you're taking on. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that, that sin entered into our DNA, and it passed along to us. Everything we do is tainted by sin. It has infected us since the days of Adam and Eve, and it, it is, it's killing us. If you don't think your sin is killing you, you don't understand the, the, the depravity of what your sin is doing to you. It's killing you. 
it's like a, it's like a, this weird mutation that we start to enjoy, and it's it is devastating, man. It's, it's more devastating than cancer. It's more devastating than MS. Some of you have family members that are going through that stuff, and your sin is more devastating than those things. At least, at least with the things we go through on this side of glory, they can only kill you once. Sin has the power to kill you for eternity. But we toy with it, and we play with it. And God knew that in order to fight this genetic mutation, he would have to present a new man with a pure genetic code, and that's what we find in Christ. We find the pureness of God in human form. Jesus, when we have Jesus, when we're baptized into his family, when we're washed clean with his blood, the scripture says that the old man has passed away and behold, the new man is here. Second Corinthians says it like this. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. We were washed clean. In Jesus, we were saved from a life of empty sin patterns. We were saved from an existence of eternal torment. Praise the Lord, church. <laughs> it's such good news. I know, I, man, let me tell you, if y'all had known me before Christ got a hold of me, y'all would have been like, yep. I know where that dude's going, and it ain't sunshine and rainbows. Do you remember? You remember where you were before Christ? Man, I can't either, man. But Christ saved us. You are saved, saints. No longer is that your destination. There's no more condemnation for you. You have been saved. Not only that, you have been sanctified by the Spirit, Paul says. He says, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The word sanctification carries this meaning that we are being transformed day by day, moment by moment, into the image and likeness of Christ. And what we fail to understand sometimes is that we're all being, being molded by something or another in our lives. Whether it's, whether it's our, our political party, being molded and shaped by them, whether it's a friend or loved one, they're shaping us and how they're speaking to us. Culture, music, TV, stuff you put into your body, the stuff you're seeing, the stuff you're listening to, it's shaping you. It's molding you. But Paul tells the Thessalonians, you're, you're being shaped and molded by God, by the Spirit of God. The things we surround ourselves with, or, or the company we keep, it molds us. My grandma used to tell me that all the time. The company you keep is going to change you. you. You are who you keep company with. Who are you keeping company with? Are you, are you in your Bibles every day? Are you surrounding yourself with friends who are, who are putting you on blast every time you do something wrong? Are you surround yourself with friends Say, no, that's okay. Keep, keep sinning. It's cool. Sin is only what you think it is. What are you surrounding yourself with? Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that they are being sanctified by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is making, the look, making them look more and more like Jesus. 
And saints, this is the only way that we're going to be able to stand in front of God the Father. This, this, this shaping that the Spirit is doing as he's shaping our character, as he's changing our DNA from the inside out, is the only way we're going to be able to stand in God's glory. If we were to try to go and stand in front of God as we are right now, it would be like an ant approaching the sun. We wouldn't survive it. God is too good. It's, it's why when, when we look back through the Old Testament, he had to tell, he had to tell his saints, turn away from me. Like, don't, don't look at me face to face. I'm too much for you to handle. My goodness will overpower you. We need something different. We need to be renewed or reshaped, regenerated. And when we're in Christ, that's exactly what's happening in our Christian walk. Every time we, every time we make a mistake, it, it builds that wisdom. Every time we reject sin, it, it builds that character. And the next time it becomes a little easier. All of our wins that we have in this life produce thanksgiving. We give glory to God in the midst of the things we're going through. It's being shaped more and more to the image of Christ. Thank God that he gives us that identity. Oh, yeah, man. I'm taking a while. He also said that we're called through the gospel. Um, what does that mean, called? It's, it's not like the, uh, like, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Like, that's not, it's not that kind of calling. When the Bible says that you're called, you're, you're, you're grabbed and you're pulled out. It's, it's like plucking water out of a well. Nobody says, here, water, water, water. Jump in my bucket, please. No, you put your bucket in the water and you pull that billy out. That's what it means to be called out. When Paul says that they were called through the gospel, it means that God, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, grabbed us from where we were, breathed life into our spiritually dead bodies, and made us alive with Christ. That's what it means by being called out. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I took this lifeguarding job, right? Uh, and in the training, they told us, if, if the people are drowning and, and they still feel like they can make it, don't save them. They're, they're going to drown you too. You've got to wait. Wait until they realize there's no hope left. Wait until they realize that their efforts are not working anymore. Sometimes even wait until they go underwater. Because they, then they know all hope is lost. And then you go in, you grab them from where they are, you drag their silly behinds to the shore, and you breathe life back into them. Y'all see where I'm going with that? That's what Christ did for us. We, we weren't swimming around in the ocean, flailing around, waiting for somebody to save us. We were dead, the Bible says. Like, dead, dead. Like, dead. Spiritually dead laying at the bottom of the pool, turning blue and getting kind of bloated. Can, I, I, I'm making jokes, but do you see the imagery? Your efforts weren't working. You trying to get right with Christ, it wasn't going well for you. You were dead. But the good news is Christ dives into that pool, grabs your silly behind, drags you out of the pool, and breathes life into you and is making you more and more like Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. It's what it means to be called out. And our only response to this life-giving measure is to breathe in the air that was given to us and be thankful that it was done to us in the first place. It wasn't like God grabbed us and said, hey, do you, do you want to come? It's not my body, my choice. 
God grabbed you and pulled you out for his own. He did so so that we may obtain the glory of Christ, Paul says. In other words, the glory of Christ will be yours. I think, I think sometimes we think about glory, like the glory that we get, and we think we're going to be in heaven as the best version of ourselves. You know what I mean? Like we're flying around in heaven. There's cute little chubby babies with wings, and they're playing a harp, and everything's like golden. Like we got six-pack and never a bad hair day. Like we're just, we're balling up in heaven, right? But that's, that's not what biblical glorification looks like. Biblical glorification means that we're overlaid with the glory of Christ. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Moses. As he's up on the mountain, he's, he's uh, receiving his second set of commandments from God, right? And Because uh, he broke the first. <laughs> he's up there on the mountain. And he says when he came down off the mountain, his skin was glowing because he was resting in the presence of the Lord. The glory of God was making his skin shine. That was only for a short time. Imagine eternity in the presence of the Father what our skin will be doing. At the expense of telling a bad dad joke, that future is so bright, I got to wear shades. So good, man. So then Paul says in verse 15, now that you understand, stand firm. And you say, yeah, Pastor Shea, I know, I know. Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. I get it. And to you, Paul would say, well, then, Stand firm. Quit being tossed around by every little temptation. Quit your sinning. Stop. Stand firm. Rely on Christ. Be anchored in your identity. You don't have to talk bad about somebody. You know that person doesn't know who Christ is. They don't need your gossip. They need your prayers. Stop rubbernecking all over the place. Your eyeballs are being transformed into the image of Christ. Paul tells them, stand firm. Stand firm against false doctrine. Stand firm against false teachers. You, you have the word of the Lord and you have the letters we've written you. Stand firm. We're not going to lead you astray. And I can even extend this to us, right? Because sometimes... We forget that when God resurrected us, he did so to call us to holiness. You are anchored in your gospel identity. You have been loved, chosen, saved, sanctified, called, and glorified. Not only are you anchored in your gospel identity, you're also anchored in God's goodness. Let me finally move on to verse 16. Um, it says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So we see here Paul is starting to wrap up this letter so he offers them this prayer of blessing. And he says, Now that you understand who you are in Christ, now that you understand the, the dangers of falling prey to deception, now that you understand that God loves you and he gives you this eternal comfort, or another way you can read that, he gives you this unfailing courage. He gives you all these things and he, he gives you this good hope through grace. 
Now I want you to understand that that comfort is never going to end. It will always be there with you. And whatever you do, whether it's a good work or a good word, it is already established by God. Do you you understand that you don't have to check with God to see which pair of pants you're going to put on in the morning? No, I, I, I'll take that as a no. You don't understand that. You're, you have been established in God when you are in Christ in every good work and good word. You're, you're already established. Are, are you searching for a new job? And you're like, God, do you want me to have this job? Go pursue it. You are already established in Christ. There's, there's, you don't have to prove anything to God. He's already established you. Are you wondering whether you should have this gospel conversation with the person at work? Yes. <laughs> yes. Tactfully. But absolutely. You've been established by God already. There's nothing you could do if you're in God's will, which you are when you're in Christ. There's nothing you're going to do that's outside of his will. Sinful anyway. You, you guys know what I mean by that. If you're acting outside of God's will, of course he doesn't want you to do those things. But if you're talking about, man, should, this, this, this new job is going to bring me more glory because all these different reasons, God's like, man, love you, son. Go for it. You're already established. If I were to put this, this verse in another way, it would be that God is going to continually strengthen you so you can do and say all kind of good things. But that's like before Christ, that is not who we were. There's, there's nothing that we could do before our life with Christ, that would please God. Before Jesus, we couldn't do anything that was pleasing to him because God's standard is eternal perfection. Like, from the day you're born until the day you die, never do anything, say anything, or think anything wrong. That, that's God's standard of what perfection is. And I mean, if, of course, we, we go through this life and, and we do good things, right? We, we help little old ladies. We, we help schools out with turkeys and ham. And we do all these things. Like, we don't go around chopping people up and eating them, right? Okay. I'll skip that one. But our, the, things, the things that we were trying to do good, the, the good that we were trying to muster up in and of ourselves, it wasn't working. We needed something new. And I'm looking at what God's standard of perfection is, and there's not these degrees of goodness with God. It's either good or not good, which is evil. And Romans 3 says it perfectly. Romans 3 says this, no one is righteous. Nope, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And Paul is kind of like guessing, like, what about me? No, you're not good. No one is. All of us are, are antithetical to God's goodness. But when Jesus came, he changed all that. Jesus lived this perfect life on our behalf perfectly following the law of God to the T so that the righteous requirements of God's law could be fulfilled on our behalf. We don't have to strive to impress God. Jesus already did it. Matter of fact, your efforts are unimpressing God. 
He wants you to rely on his son. And imagine that, right? From the very beginning, God lays down his law. He says, this is who I want you to be. And ever since Adam and Eve, he's been waiting for someone to actually fulfill his law that he laid down. I mean, I tell my kids to do something, and when they don't, I'm like, I'm angry. I told you to go clean your room. It's been like 30 minutes. God's been waiting since Adam and Eve for somebody to follow his law. And it didn't happen until Christ. Not only did Jesus live this perfect life on our behalf, he also died so that we wouldn't have to suffer the eternal torment and separation of God. Jesus made himself into God's object of wrath so that we wouldn't have to receive it. So instead of pouring out his wrath on his people, he poured all of his wrath out on his son. So by the time he gets to us, he says, there's there's nothing left. I, I, I put it all on my son. For you, when you're in my son, all I have is love for you. So like every time we fail, right? Every time we, we do something we're not supposed to, every time we, we go astray from what God wants us to do, Jesus is standing in heaven before the Father. He sees what we do, but he steps in and says, I got that one too, Dad. Paid in full. I know, I know they didn't kill it again. I know this is the 50th time they've tried to ask for repentance for the same sin. But I paid for that one. <laughs> so good. And then Paul says in verse 17, he says that now that you have this eternal comfort and you've seen this good hope that God is giving you <laughs> through his grace, now go do some good stuff. You've, you've been found cleared of all charges by Christ. You've been, you've been changed by his Holy Spirit into his image. That means we now have access by the Spirit of God to go and do and say good things. It means you can, you can go boldly and have that gospel conversation. You can, you can dream about what it's like to plant a church because God has already established you and he wants you to do good. You can courageously welcome strangers into your home because you remember what it was like before Christ when you were an outsider. and You want those people to be insiders too. We can do all these things now that God has loved us. The gospel is changing us. We're established in Christ now. We're anchored in God's goodness. But it can't stop there. Our commission from Christ is to see people come to follow him for all the ends of the earth. There's not one space in all of God's creation where he doesn't want his name to be famous. And so Paul says we, we press on. We, we go into those places. For my, anchor, for, my, for my Navy brothers, it's anchors away. Is anybody in here, in the, were they in the Navy? I had to go and look this up because I thought it was like anchors away, but I guess that means like drop the anchor. And I was all kind of confused this week, but anchors away. What that, what that means is this Navy term that it's, it's a report that sailors give that the anchors have been brought up into the vessel, they're clear of the sea bottom, and the ship is ready to go. That means, that means we pick up our gospel identity, we pick up this goodness that Christ is showing us, and we face whatever culture is getting ready to throw at us. And we go make disciples the way Jesus told us to. And that's, and that's not just me as a pastor making disciples. 
That's not just the pastors up here preaching. That is everyone who calls himself a disciple of Christ. Jesus says, go out and make disciples of all nations. There's people that I'm not going to be able to reach, but you can. There's people who look at me and won't even listen to the gospel from me. I'm too good looking. (laughs) And humble. (laughs) But seriously, if if you think back to the context of this text, right, Paul is in another city because he got chased out by the Thessalonians. So he's writing back to them and he's telling them, Y'all, stay encouraged over here, but we got to press on. We got to go plant more churches. We got to see more disciples come to Christ. That should be our attitude too. Matter of fact, uh, Paul says, um, he says to pray for them that the gospel will speed ahead and be honored among everybody they meet, just like what happened in Thessalonica. He says not everyone believes, but like, like, not everybody is going to have faith. We're, we're going to run into some evil people. And if you read Paul's accounts of what happened through the book of Acts, man, that's exactly what happened. Dude is run out of town in, in, in Athens. He's, he's mocked in Athens, excuse me. He's, the Jews made fun of him in Corinth. He, he goes to Ephesus and causes a riot because he's preaching the gospel there. Like he's, he, People tried to kill him while he was in Jerusalem. And then ultimately when he gets to Rome, He's, he's, he's put in chains there, and a little bit later in his life, he is martyred because evil men want to come against the gospel. Whoever, whoever told you that Christianity was safe was lying. Evil will come against you. If, you. if you have anchored yourself in Christ, the world will not like it. And Paul understood this, but he, he also says that God, God is faithful, even in the midst of all that. We're not worried about getting chased out of town. We're not worried about losing our jobs. We're not worried about a teacher coming against us because we're talking about Jesus in school. Because the Lord is faithful. What else, what else do we have to worry about? And I, I, Saints, I get it. There is, there is worry there. What would happen if I lose my job? Because, I'm, because on my lunch break, I'm talking about Jesus. And this is the third time this week my boss has said something. <sighs> the Lord is faithful. That's, that's what happens. And that looks different from everybody, but the, the one thing that remains standard, God is faithful. Paul understood that the gospel couldn't just stop in one city. It had to keep going. He had to, he had to plant more churches. And this is, at, this is one of our values here at Living Stones. We're in constant prayer about what it looks like to plant more churches, to plant more community groups, to spread this gospel all over the city. In fact, like we're, we're in the middle of, of praying of what it looks like to plant a church right now. Like, so we have this side of the hill, right? And there's, there's this mountain that divides the springs start, side of Sparks from the rest of Sparks. And I'm, and I'm telling you, my heart breaks for the people over there. Some folks can't even walk to a good church. How, how in the world are they to hear about the goodness of Christ and they can't, even, they can't go anywhere to hear about him? Unless we go. Unless we have people praying about what it looks like to make disciples on the other side of the hill, to, to go into communities where they are hard against Christ, but shine his goodness anyway. 
We have to be praying about it. We have to be talking about it. We've got to plant more community groups. We've got to raise up more leaders. We've got to make more disciples. We have to go. We've got to pick up our anchors and get to work. We can't sit still and play church on this side of the hill. Yes, there's people out in the burbs that need Christ too. There's, there's, there's more. Christ wants us to see more. He wants us to have a bigger vision than what's right in front of us. He wants us to wholly imagine what it looks like to spread the gospel, not over the city, but over the whole state. Anchors away, Paul says. Get to work. Paul says to pray that the word of the Lord can speed ahead and be honored, just like it was out there in Thessalonica. Paul knew that he was... Uh, going to have to confront some cultural context, and the Bible was going to offend a little bit. And, and that's true for us, too. As we, as we start talking about Jesus and what God has done, people don't like that. When you say to your boyfriend, I, I, I don't, I don't want to sleep around like that. I'm, I'm trying to be pure for my Lord. You, you might not get a second phone call. When you, when you try to tell your buddies, like, they're going to play basketball on Sunday morning, you're like, I can't, man. I, I can't forsake the fellowship of the saints. It's my joy for the week. You, you might not get a second phone call to come play ball. They just, they just don't get it. And that could be hard. I, I, I completely understand that. You try, you try to tell people, like, I, I can't follow that dude on TV with the nice suit and the super big smile because he's telling me that if I have enough faith, then God will put some more money in my pocket. I'm not saying anybody in particular, but y'all know who I'm talking about. You say, I can't follow that dude. He's leading me away from Christ. And man, they're like, why, why are you hating? He's bringing joy to people's lives. And you're like, no, he's not leading people to Christ. And that's our joy. It's, it gets odd sometimes. I understand it. So we press on. We, we do it anyway. We do it with the joy of the Lord before us. We pray that the gospel speeds ahead of us and, and prepares those conversations. That he prepares us to have those conversations. Anybody, like you go to try to talk to somebody about Jesus and you freeze up? It happens. Oh, we get it. But God is with you. The Lord is faithful. Press on. Anchors away. So I want to apply this text to us today, right? And what I'm going to say, I, I know it's, it's easy for me to say, but it's kind of difficult to put into action. I get that. Uh, but my application is this. Um, the Bible wants us to understand who we are and go make disciples. That's, that's our calling as Christians. But what does that mean? How, how do we make disciples, Pastor Shea? Um, I don't know. Great question. <laughs> Great question. I don't, I don't, it is the spirit of God who changes people's hearts. But, but here's what I do know. God uses even the, the unlikely to bring people to glory. That means like as you're at lunch, right? Like you, you're at work, you ask a coworker to lunch, right? You guys go to lunch, you go to Burger King because you reformed and you know they have the best fries. And so you're at lunch and you're, and you're just, you've been contemplating all week long about, how good God has been to you. And he's, he's given you this gospel identity. You've, you've gone back through and you've read this, this text and you're like, man, I'm, I'm saved. Like God saved me. Oh my gosh, why would he save me? And you're just, you're just contemplating all these things. And so that joy of the Lord begins to overfill you. And you're like, I just got to tell somebody. You want to go to lunch? Like we just, 
we just go kick it at lunch. And as you're sitting down, you're listening to your story. Maybe you drop in a little line about how good God has been to you and what the things like he's brought you through. You don't, you, don't, you don't go overbearing on it, but you develop this deep relationship with this person so that by the time the Lord kind of cultivates this relationship and the Holy Spirit is working on the seed that you planted, now they're coming to faith. Now they're asking more questions about who Christ is. God is not asking you to go to the other side of the world to make disciples. Sometimes he's asking you to go next door. Make friends. Do, do the things that you're already doing. And God will use it because everything that God wants you to do that's good has already been established. Go do it. Crazy, right? We, we can be creative. We can be people to Christ over a beer and a nice whiskey. Or a nice whiskey. I should try to say either. Maybe not both. It means we could bring people to Christ at our kids' soccer game. At work, in school, on an airplane. Yeah, they, where are they going to run? On an airplane. They got nowhere to go. Talk to them about Jesus. You'll never see them again for the rest of your life. You, you, can, you can Jesus them up the whole four-hour plane ride. What are they going to do? They're going to jump out? It's Jesus. We're, our works are established. Our words are established. It's, it's already been done. We're not impressing God. Jesus impressed God for us. We can go and do. And I, and I do need to say this. Um, it's not just pursuing people who look like you. Je- Jesus went out of his way to pursue people who he had nothing in common with. He intentionally went outside of his culture to develop deep and lasting relationships with his enemies. If Jesus had awaited until people came to him to make disciples, man, none of us would have gotten there. Just follow the pattern of Christ. There, there's going to be people that are around you that you're like, ah, I don't know if I have anything in common with them. You don't. Don't talk to them anyway. It's how we do this whole unity and diversity thing. You've got to have these relationships. And I have confidence in the Lord about you, saints that you're doing and will do the things that are commanded here. This is, this is exactly what Paul's saying. Have confidence that you're already doing it, and you'll continue doing it. Because the worst thing you could do is come here on a Sunday morning, listen to the word of God being preached, and, and feeling this conviction in your soul that maybe you should do something, and then walk away like nothing happened. God wants us to go do. He doesn't want us to get idle in our faith, sitting here in luxury. It's hard places to reach. There's souls to be won. We're, we're the instrument in our Redeemer's hands. And so we go. And I have this prayer for you that Paul offered at the end of his letter. It says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you uh, for this message of hope. Uh, thank you that you've given us this gospel identity that um, we're, we're not who we used to be. We are new in you. That, that old man has been put away. It tries to rear its ugly head every now and then, but now that we have Christ, oh my goodness, 
you are so good to us. But we need your help, God. You, you set us out to, uh, to tell more people about you. You set us out to make more disciples, to, to make disciples in such an abundance that new churches have to be planted in and there's more people to be met. And there, there's, just, there's just so much, God, and we have our, our jobs and our families and our, our children ahead of us and it's, it feels like we, we just can't. But you have established our steps. You've established all of our words. You've given us the abundance of your goodness. Be with us as we go out, God. Be be in our conversations this week. Be in all the things we do. Be in our our service as we're serving our community. Uh, Be with us as we try to impact our city for the gospel. Uh, We can't do any of this without you doing for us, God. We need your presence. We need your love. And, And thankfully, through Christ, that's exactly what we have. Help us rely on you for the things we need. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.